listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Knapp. Yes, it's episode 89 of the Northern Football Podcast with the amigos Peter Galindo and Alexander Gonger Ruzik. All three of us recording in the same room for the first time since March when Canada beat Jamaica to qualify to the World Cup. Also, the, around the time we uh, capped at AGR as well, and uh, look what we're recording at FP headquarters, Alex's place. We're back to our regular recording schedule after an eventful September window against some quality opposition, that is, for Canada, after reaching 100,000 all-time plays as well. I wasn't supposed to be here uh, tonight, <laughs> no uh, but certain circumstances, aka me missing my flight, uh, is the reason uh, why we're all recorded today. But hey, you got to take the positives. How are you guys doing? We're good. Thomas Neff, ladies and gentlemen, is the only person I know who would go to the wrong airport in, in Toronto. Toronto. But you know what? We'll look at the positives here. You're with us. You're recording in person with us. We're back. Well, at least I'm back at AGR's apartment for what seems to be like the 19th time in the last week. It feels yes. like I live here now. And we're 24 hours away from what's going to be, I hope, a fun event in Footy Talks at the Rivoli in, in Toronto. So uh, if you're listening before... <laughs> That event, hope to see you there. All three of us, I think, are going to be there because uh, circumstances allowed that to happen. It's great. You got to look at the positives. I mean, that's just how it is. AGR, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm in the process of printing out a fob for Peter. <laughs> we'll maybe set up a bit of a meal plan for him, too. Yeah, your burritos are pretty damn good from the looks of it. So oh, I made a killer burrito today. And Two killer burritos. And he's got some killer fruit as well. Yeah, and I also fed these guys burgers the other week. Maybe we'll make like a one day like a northern football cooking show. And then I'll just, I'll run it, but... Oh, right. <laughs> You'll teach us how to cook. I just, That'll be the show. I love food, so... You'll teach us about double pivots and cooking pastas, basically. That's, that's it. That's if you want, like, a secret about me. I love food almost as much as I love soccer. But we're here for the All, soccer. Almost as much. So that's why. We're here yes. for the soccer, so we'll <laughs> dive into the soccer. Yes. But if you do have any food questions, holler at me. That's right. Uh, and just a quick reminder to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would listen to us on Apple or Spotify... Uh, please give us a rating or review if you haven't already done so. Uh, we're actually very close to reaching 400 combined five-star ratings as we uh, get closer to our 100th episode. Follow us on Twitter at Northern Football, uh, Peter at Galindo PW, Alex at Alex Gongarusik, and myself at Thomas Neff. Uh, so, back to the regular recording schedule. No FIFA window, but we do have a World Cup to discuss in less than two months, so... We go with the Canucks Abroad Roundup and Mailbag. We'll begin with the show with that. Alfonso Davies went the full 90 as Bayern Munich crushed Bayer Leverkusen. 4-0 on Friday afternoon. Jonathan David scored his sixth goal of the season in Lille. 2-1 defeat to Lorient. Only Neymar and Kylian Mbappé have scored more goals in league competition than David this season. Somehow he's still pissed that he's only rated a 79 in FIFA 23. But, uh, what can you do? Uh, David Kiesman, with the first question of the show, uh, he says, with his fantastic club form and World Cup ahead of him, what are the chances David leaves Lille in January? Uh, well, Lille drop their 50 million asking fee. Well, for what it's worth, um, club president Olivier Letton, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly or not, Pretty good. but thank you, uh, was asked about that very <laughs> subject, and he assured that David would not be sold in the January window. Now, that's obviously not binding. These things can change all the time, as we know. But he does have three and a half years left on his contract. 
He's in great form. The World Cup will likely boost his value. The only way I see him being sold in January is if someone just blows the doors off of, you know, Lidl's reported 50 million euro asking price. Chelsea, I know, could possibly end up doing that. Despite everything, they're actually still probably the more financially flexible teams in Europe, even after all that spending. They could be a potential candidate to do that. But I think David is sticking around until the summer. And that's fine, really, because he'll be 23 with three seasons of experience in a top five league. And if he continues to score consistently, which has been an issue of his in the previous two seasons, there will be no shortage of suitors, especially when you factor in the World Cup boost. The thing is with David, it feels like we, I mean, we said this last summer, it feels like only a matter of time before he departs. I mean, if you look at over the last two and a half seasons since he's been in France, I think he's well in the top 10 scores over that time, if not pushing top five. He's got two double digit seasons under his belt. He's <laughs> looks well on pace to hit double digits this season, knock on wood. Certainly it feels like at a certain point, the body work is there. Yes, there have been the slumps that have been of concern, but the thing is, if you watch Lille again, as many Canadians do, as we, we all do, this Lille team isn't exactly these days uh, a beacon of, of offense, a beacon of attacking uh, football. Even they, they have gotten better under Paolo Fonseca, but there's still moments where you watch them and you're just like, oh man, you just you can only wonder what a guy like Jonathan David could do with a system around him that maybe suits him a bit more, and you know some of these, uh, you know some of the players around him as well. So I think for him. It's only a matter of time, like you mentioned, of January. Someone blows the doors off. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Injuries happen. I'm sure some strikers will go down at the World Cup. All of a sudden, teams will need contingency plans yeah. heading into the second half of the season, uh, especially after the long break, to get a striker who's in form after playing at a World Cup. Obviously, it might be a bit expensive, but you're going to have to pay for David like anyways. You, like you say, three and a half years on his contract. So if you're going to get him... Now you're going to have to pay a fee anyway, so I think the fee will probably be pretty similar in the winter window versus the summer window, although summer always the benefit of being easier to grab a replacement. Although, I mean, you could say arguably given that they've shifted back to this one-striker system, they have their replacement lined up in bio. Uh, Obviously, he was starting at the beginning of the year dropped for disciplinary reasons, so maybe they do have their replacement lined up should... David be sold so that could also impact things they're also looking at John Duran apparently the Chicago Fire youngster who's just kind of blown the doors off of MLS since he arrived so he could be a possible long-term replacement too so they're already looking for contingency plans so you know he's going to get sold at some point which is obvious it's just a matter of when and really it's probably going to be the summer and we got a product John Duran yeah yeah exactly he was killing it at 15 over there which is nuts but Ikeubo got around 30 minutes for Trois and literally recorded three touches versus Hans. Is that serious? Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Where's you the wanna, fucking R? Where's the R? Where's how, the R? How would you how would you have pronounced that? Rhymes. <laughs> Buster Rhymes. <laughs> Tejan Buchanan made his season debut finally uh, for Club Rouge in the 56 and scored the team's third goal uh, in a looped header in a 3-0 win over Mechelen. Uh, Kyle Aaron was an unused sub. Uh, both were named in the Champions League squad to face Atletico Madrid on Tuesday. Mark Carvajal, a friend of the show, uh, I found it odd that Bruges allowed Tejan to come on for the window even though he had not returned to play for the club. Is it possible that Roberto Martinez asked Bruges to let him go so he could scout him against non-concap position? And that has been known to happen in general. Have national team coaches been known to call domestic clubs within their country to get more information about players? 
and they may be facing on who are on that club. Well, I mean, well, come on. I, I, they definitely do. They have that yes. resource. But I mean, yes. Roberto Martinez talks to a lot of people, even if he doesn't want to call the clubs. I mean, last window he called up three Club Rouge players off my count. So I'm sure one talked to Hans Vanekin, who has played a lot of minutes with Tejan Buchanan. If not, you can talk to Brandon Michele or Jedrick Boyota. There's options there, as well as goalkeeper Simon Mignolet. So uh, you can just talk to the players. I'm sure Martinez had some scouts on the game. Those sorts of conversations happen. I just don't think. The the club, if they're going to step in between a player going international soccer, usually it's for other reasons, such as medical, or they have a huge game coming up. Usually, to be honest, the club is... They could care less about international soccer Honestly. in so many cases. It's rare you see clubs, uh, you know, it's, it's usually more in countries where national teams are, are you, you kind of see in Canada, for example, where, you know, there's an interest in it from, you know, CPL, from MLS to want to improve the national teams. You see it as well at the U.S. So there, there's more of a priority on, on clubs. You see it even if they're playing through a window, clubs will release if Canada and U.S. asks for them. Mm-hmm. We see these camp poutines and all these stuff that we don't see otherwise because they want to help national teams. Uh-huh. Where some countries, yeah, they'll just when it comes to the national team, they'll just say get stiffed. So yeah. I think if anything, Roberto Martinez, if, especially with a club like Bruges, they probably could care less. Go on. Well, and to be fair, Bruges and the CSA were working in conjunction, conjunction, excuse me, on Buchanan's recovery. So releasing him after the Qatar game was likely part of the plan, anyways. They probably wanted Buchanan to get some quality minutes before he played against Mechelen. This was the perfect way to do it. Fly quickly to Slovakia, play 15, 20 minutes against Uruguay, get your feet wet again, come back very quickly, and then score score in your debut, get 30, 35 minutes off the bench. Maybe the scoring in your debut part was a bit of a pleasant surprise. And his first full season in Europe. Yes, as well. So quite frankly, that was probably the plan all along. And so far it's working because very clearly Buchanan looks like a guy who doesn't look like he's had a two-month injury layoff. Well, it's Thomas, you bring up a good point because Buchanan, he had a long 2021 season with COVID. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, New England ended up being one of the top teams in the league, went to playoffs. Uh, they had 34 games all congested in. Then he went straight to Bruges, played five months in a row. Plus, you add in all the Canada commitments where they had to play in June. They had to play every three months. He, was, he went to every camp. He played in the Gold Cup as well, which was a very congested fixture list. The one plus of his injuries that it turned his one month off season because he had a shortened off season because of the Canada window in June turned it to a three month off season which is pretty normal in MLS so he could end up looking quite fresh if he finds his leg quickly here mm-hmm. well if Roberto Martinez does live in Belgium he could just go see him show up at a game and watch him in person uh, down in the Belgian second division the forgotten Liam Fraser went 73 minutes as a dance lost 2 nothing to Bearscott on Saturday uh, Stefano Stacchio was back in the starting 11 for Porto and played an integral role in their massive 4-1 win over second place Braga. Uh, Stacchio picked up an assist for their opener, then finished off with a superb move to double the lead. Porto faces Bayern, Bayer Leverkusen on Tuesday in the Champions League. Uh, you guys had a discussion about a potential switch uh, to a midfield trio. Uh, how does Stacchio's recent offensive surge factor into that? Well, I think we discussed it fairly in-depth last episode, but having written about this for John Molinaro's TFC Republic on Friday, 
I went back and looked at the games where Atiba Hutchinson was either playing as a center back or was tasked with dropping in between the center backs and forming a back three in possession to help the team build from the back to orchestrate things. Um, if you are subscribed to TFC Republic, I do implore you to read it because, and I know we'll dive into this at the end of the segment because there was a question about a, a trio and, and Canada utilizing one, but one of the big issues Canada faced against Uruguay was no fluidity when playing from the back or calmness under pressure in those situations. That led to some dangerous transitions the other way. Because you had the Ashtakio P at double pivot, who needed to form the triangles, they had to get involved early in possession, all while staying compact, because then if they get too stretched, there's too much space to exploit, which happened a few times. It stretched them and put the burden on Vittoria and others to then shoulder the load on building from the back. And they are not comfortable in those situations, especially against the high press. So Atiba, as we know, he could have a tarantula down his pants and still stay super calm under pressure. That's to paraphrase the great Ray Hudson. Um, the, the amount of times he broke the line of engagement against El Salvador and Costa Rica was paramount towards Canada creating transitions against those teams that were trying to box them in. But then as soon as they broke that line of engagement and then Atiba passed it to an Ashtakio or a K or even a... a Kyle Aaron or Jonathan David, Tejon Buchanan, who would drop deep into those spaces and then turn around and go the other way. I lost count on it. And obviously the sides they'll face in the next four games are better on paper than El Salvador, Costa Rica, whatnot. But the point does still stand in that when you have Atiba in those positions or Samuel Piat, whoever you want to put in the heart of the midfield as part of a trio, you allow Estacchio to be a box-to-box player along with whoever else you want in that trio, whether that's Kone, Osorio, David Watherspoon, if he's able to make it. Atiba can get the ball to one of those guys or to the aforementioned Laren or David dropping into those spaces, and then they can swing it wide to the wing back or just do all kinds of things and exploit all that space that opens up by beating that line of engagement. So Ashtakio could still orchestrate from deep, yes, but with one of those guys playing deeper in the midfield, you then are able to utilize Estacchio's newfound offensive characteristics in the final third, too, by kind of having someone who can take some of that load off him. I feel like Estacchio really, his role for Canada going forward is very, how do I say it? it's understated because, again, you look at the future and you see Alfonso Davies, you see Jonathan David. But as, again, during qualifiers, Estacchio is arguably the most consistent of everyone just week in, week out. But his role there was more defensive. Mm-hmm. But I think now... Uh, as we saw from Uruguay, the Uruguay game, teams are going to now dare Canada to break them down. Uh, it's Again, the secret is out in terms of Alfonso Davies, Tejon Buchanan, all these guys that they have who can run and destroy teams in transition and really uh, destroy high lines. Okay, teams are like, dare we dare you to beat our mid to low blocks. And in that case, you're going to need a lock picker. And I think... You know, if the final third is Narnia, Stefan Ustakio's right foot is the closet. He's, he's the one who can. He's the only one who can open the door and get in there. We're killing with these metaphors here, anyway. Continue. So, 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 so he, he's the one, he's the solution, I think, in terms of just being able to interpret the final third. Just watch him again for Porto. The way, who, despite being in a two-man pivot, he's everywhere. He's, he's just he, his his movement creates you know disruptions to defenders. You have to constantly track where he is off the ball when he's on the ball. He has the quality to pick out passes to then pass and run, which is an immensely valuable and routine skill that isn't always done at a high level in certain levels of the game. So overall, I think Ustakio, when it comes to the future Canada might face, which I 
do think is going to be a lot of low blocks against even against quality teams. At uh, times, certainly. Well, certainly, yes. I think well, teams are out now. I think teams are really going to get want to get set against yes, Canada. Yes. I think certain teams, yes. Like if you're playing a Brazil, that's not how they play. They're no, going to want to batter you down. But even then, a, a team like Brazil might realize as well. Like we're playing Canada, get behind the ball when you don't yeah. have the ball. Yeah. So I think if you're Canada, you have to expect that to a certain extent, and you at least have to practice for it. Because I think again. Something like what Davies and, and Buchanan can do in transition, you can't teach that. But uh, in terms of Eustachio, you need that that ball movement. You need that just the progression to really break down teams. And if, if you know that, also the best way to do that is by freeing him up in the number eight role. Let's say. Peter, you bring up uh, Tiba Hutchinson. Uh, he returned to full training uh, today uh, on Monday uh, with Besiktas uh, when the Kennedy September roster was announced on the 16th. Uh, John Herman said Hutchinson's return to game action would come at the end of October, uh, but national team medical staff would fly to Istanbul after the window to monitor his progress. Does this mean that, you know, he will be back sooner than expected? It's possible. Um, With a week, maybe two of training, you could see him getting some minutes, and that would be massive because if he does come back at the end of October, that gives him two, maybe three games to get fit. And he's probably not going to be starting all of them. So if he can get an extra couple of games in there, even 20, 30 minutes, I think that would be more than enough for him to get back into rhythm. Because the one thing with Atiba is he might not have the pace to keep up with, say, your Kevin De Bruyne's and whatnot. But as long as he has the rhythm in possession, that's what matters because that's when he can do the most damage. Well, so we know... uh his capacities off the ball, his brain, uh, you know, is in the way he reads defensive plays, but also plays in possession. I think for him, it's just a couple games of sharpness. And as we see each season where he surprises everyone by coming out of the gate strong, once he gets on the field and is healthy, I have no doubt that after even just a couple games off the bench, once he finds that rhythm, it's Atiba as usual. Yes. I just hope that John Herman finds a way to put him in the three of the last four games of 2022. The Japan friendly, of course, to reach that 100 games. I mean, to be the first player ever yeah. to reach 100 games. I mean, I mean, if not, alternatively, you know, if you, if you are going to be careful with the march in front of the home fans, also wouldn't be a bad way yeah, to hit 100. Yeah, that's a nice send off. Yeah. Not bad, not yeah. bad. To hit 100 at least. Send off, yeah. I mean, Gold Cup maybe might be the send off they're looking for, or Nations League, just a trophy to see him lift yeah. the trophy. Also, yeah. when he can hold on for that long. For, he will be 40 he, by that point. He, he could hold on for the 2026 role. He probably I think could. at this point, it's, it's more his choice of, okay, man, I want to retire the and man enjoy the time gluten, with his family. The man cut gluten solely for this. I'm sure he's like, come on, let's just get a trophy so I can eat gluten again, you know? Well, that's it. I'm sure he's just, again, it's not a matter of his body or his mind that will stop him from playing to 45. It's probably, okay, let me hang out with my kids and just enjoy my life. Because he's deserved finally, it. Finally, please. <laughs> Uh, the always reliable Steven Vittoria was suspended yes. after he was sent off in Chavez's final match before the international break. Uh, so he'll be back for the next game. He's, he didn't, yes, he uh, will. Yes, he didn't he feature will. this window. Uh, Junior Horlet went the full nine. as Redding uh, beat Huddersfield Town 3-1 on Saturday. Uh, Redding is now up to third in the English Championship and three points adrift of league leaders Sheffield United. Uh, Theo Corbin had a productive 84 minutes for Blackpool in a 1-0 loss to Norwich on a Saturday. Uh, Corbin hit the post and was lively throughout the game. Uh, great to see after uh, some encouraging uh, sub-appearance for Canada as well. Uh, we mentioned Sheffield United earlier. Uh, no Daniel Jevison in the matchday squad this weekend. He did score for England's U-20s during the international breakthrough. 
meanwhile, Sam Atacube was an unused sub for Hattasport in their 2-1 win over Sivaspor on Sunday. Uh, we did receive a question from Etienne Colette. He asked, did Sam Atacube lose his starting spot at Hattasport? Based on the local reports, it doesn't look like it. Um, Atacube apparently returned to the club Wednesday, uh, possibly Thursday, latest, in terms of training with the team, and he was deemed to be too fatigued to start. So they didn't want to take a chance. They put him on the bench. Provided he does end up starting the next game, there's really nothing to worry about here. Some might ask, well, Stefan Ostakio was able to start, you know, a few days after playing for Canada and whatnot. But, you know, different players react to, to different circumstances. Not to mention, Sam Atakubi routinely plays 90 minutes for Hatchiespor and also the team is struggling. So I feel like it doesn't make much of a difference anyway. Well, the thing is with Atakubi, he, he, he was one of the only Canadian players to play almost 180 minutes. So even Ustakio yeah, came off right. relatively yeah. early in uh, both of the games. Davies as well came off early in both games. So that's why he was able to, well, he, he went 90 in one and then 65 in the other. Mm. And then plus as well, like mentioned, Hattasport also has recently just gotten a new manager, a former Fatih Pardon me, the new coach, Volkan Demiriel, former head coach of Fatih Karagumuruk. I don't know how, how I'm well pronouncing done. on that, but... Sounds right. He's just been, you know, they've got a new manager. You do wonder if him, he wonders, okay, I know what I have with that. It could be he's coming off international break. Maybe just get a, look, a new look at guys. Because like Peter mentions, Haddish Sport, after nearly going to the European places last year, uh, currently sitting in 18th out of 19 teams with four By points. By the way, if they get relegated, Atacubi needs to get the fuck out of there. Well, he's he's, he's too well, obvious. I, I think at this point, he's trending to to leave the club yeah. at a certain point yeah. to a higher level, yeah. one, especially after a good World Cup. Yes. But, uh, yes. If I'm Atacubi... Thomas, no, you know what? I disagree with you. He should stay if, and play in the Turkish No, no, but division. seriously, if I'm at Atacubi and the, the club doesn't let me go... I'm paying my own fucking release clause. Like I'm serious. Some clubs have actually, some players it's, have it's actually done that. right now. I don't, the contract situation there suggests that he should be okay with uh, yeah. getting out of Yeah, it. I think so. Fief Pro, Fief Pro, yeah. yes. If all else fails, Fief Pro will help him. Liam Miller came off the bench uh, for around 15 minutes in Basel's 3-2 win over, over St. Gallen. Uh, Basel takes on Slovan Bratislava at home in the Europa Conference League action on Thursday. Milan Borian earned a clean sheet in wrestler Belgrade's 4-0 victory against Milastot in the Serbian Superliga. Uh, they now face Ferenc Varos in the Europa League on Thursday. Now, David Witherspoon played two friendlies for St. Johnston during the international break, but picked up a minor knock in the second match, postponing his return to competitive matches. Uh, do you still think he has a realistic chance of making the World Cup roster? Yes. He absolutely does. I released my updated World Cup squad predictions on MLS, soccer.com. They're always changing, man. Walterspoon, not usually. I only maybe make one change, if that. Um, I think the only change I made, maybe two. Um, I had Ismail Kone in over Liam Fraser. And then the other one was Cornelius over Henry. But I'm rethinking that. I still think Henry gets in, in the end. Uh, but Walterspoon is still on there as one of my seven midfielders. This knock doesn't sound too serious. So he should be back relatively soon. Well, yes, uh, a colleague, I guess we can say, sports reporter for the Perthshire Advertiser, Matt Gallagher, who, who covers the team. He recently put out a story today confirming just a bone bruise for David Weatherspoon. 
uh, after because there was worries you could have broken his foot, which would have been a nightmare. That Return after oh his God. knee injury, but it was just a bone bruise, and fortunately he's you know he's a little younger than someone like a Hutchinson also yeah. going through a bone bruise. He's training fully this week. He's expected to finally play in the Scottish League this weekend. Yeah. So sounds like he's back and good to go. Shout out to Matt yeah. Gallagher for that. There we go. Uh, he does great work yeah. on uh, St. Johnson. I've also I met him through his coverage of Theo Bear. Funnily enough, he asked there me for an interview. Boy. So. Excellent. A lot of, lot of, of great, course, he asked you. A lot, lot, lot of Canadian connections yeah, over at St. Johnson. So, just worth noting. And uh, so, yeah, Wotherspoon should be back and agreed in terms of midfield right now. He has the edge over Liam Fraser. He has an edge over pretty much all of the options for that sixth, seventh spot. If they take seven. The thing is, you're going to have to assume so. Atiba Hutchinson, Jonathan Azorio, you see those situations. Even Mark, Mark Anthony, Anthony K looking on sharp. Basically, Canada's probably going to need to bring an extra midfielder versus an, ex, an extra center back or an extra winger, I think. Because yeah, yeah. Alfonso well, Davies is going to play 90s anyway. So, yes. like, honestly, you'd be better off bringing an extra midfielder versus a winger there. People forget, too, David Watherspoon, before he tore his ACL, he got called up to every single squad except the Gold Cup and made eight appearances in 2021. Never he rejected was, a call. He was a, a constant presence in camps. He's trusted and valued by Herdman. He can play as like that left winger, midfielder, tweener. He can break lines with his runs. He can manipulate spaces that way. He's almost like a left-sided junior hoylet for Canada in a lot of ways. So he does have a, a good role to play, I think, provided he is fit. And he's going to have six or seven games to get fit here. So I feel like the, the chances are pretty decent, but he'll still get back in. Plus that Japan game too, which will help. Mentioned Bear, uh, he was a late sub in St. Johnson's 2-1 win over Dundee United. Uh, Bear actually was pretty productive uh, in the international break and in the friendlies, turned some heads as well. Uh, ben Payne finished the full 90 for Ross County as they suffered defeat to the hands of Hips on Saturday. Victor Latouri was an unused sub. Uh, Scott Kennedy started for Jan Regensburg, going the full 90 in a 1-0 loss to Maddenberg in the second Bundesliga. Uh, Derek Cornelius logged the full 90 for Panatolikos and had an assist in a 4-1 win over Janina on Monday, Maxime Cropot and LAFC officially clinch the Supporters' Shield after beating the Portland Timbers 2-1. Cropot was forced into a couple of quality saves to preserve the victory. Dane Sinclair and Minnesota United continue to struggle. They're not winless in six games after losing 2-0 to the worst team in the West, the Zanzer Earthquakes. Minnesota faces the Vancouver Whitecaps this weekend in a pivotal game for both teams. Playoff hopes, also known as Decision Day. Raheem Edwards started for the LA Galaxy against Ralph Salt Lake, but was forced to come out at halftime after suffering an injury. In the Ukrainian Premier League, Mandrekar James started and finished the 90 in Odessa's 2-1 defeat to Alexandria. And Charles Andreas Brim, everyone's favorite player, uh, finished the 19 FC Eindhoven's 1-1 draw with Dortmund in the Erste Evidice. It was pretty unfortunate not to get a goal in that one. Uh, in England, down in England, in League 2, we're going all the way Not to the minors. Urban Peppel logged 56 minutes for Grisby Town in their 1-1 draw with Salford City on Saturday. Diadin Abzi had 25 minutes off the bench as Pau lost 1-0 to Metz in League 2 on Saturday afternoon. Now, we got a few more questions, so let's start with the new dual national that has appeared on Raiders. 
We're talking, of course, about Bruno Davidson, the 18-year-old winger who is contracted to Celtics Academy. Um, so, obviously, lots to discuss. Uh, there was actually a Scottish newspaper who actually came out with the story that Canada were monitoring him uh, for a call-up. And according to reports, the report is true. Yes. Um, multiple questions on this from... Uh, First from Nordic G, any insight on Bruno Davidson? And Jody Dubik asked, do you have any background on Bruno Davidson? He seemingly fallen from the sky as they think Celtic contacted Kahneman T to tell us he's Kane eligible. Of course, according to reports. That is actually true. Uh, Celtic did make Canada and the association aware of Bruno Davidson's eligibility. Um, and it is true, in fact, that he is Canadian eligible, of course. It's been confirmed by the CSA uh, from my end. And Davidson is a pretty exciting prospect. He plays for Celtics U19s in UEFA Youth League. So if anybody ever wants to check him out in game action, there are some free streams on YouTube and whatnot that you can check out or on UEFA TV, which is also free. Peter, uh, share your Vimeo account. There's also four more games this season. I don't know what the fuck that means. Um, so he plays for the U19s. He also plays for Celtics B team when the U19s aren't in UEFA Youth League action. He has three goals and four assists in about 540 minutes. Now, it's the fifth tier of Scottish football. I have actually watched it in person when I was in Glasgow because I watched East Kilbride FC, who is a perennial contender to get promoted to the professional pyramid. It's semi-professional where Celtics B team and Rangers B team plays. The level isn't the best, but he is 18 playing against grown men. So getting three goals, four assists, not too bad, but I tweeted a video of Davidson against Shakhtar's U19s from UEFA's Youth League a couple weeks ago, and there's a lot to like. His dynamism, his vision, the dribbling, the work rate, not really a goal-scoring threat, but that's okay if he's going to be creating chances as routinely as it looks like he does. And he tends to play on the left, but he is right-footed, so he is playing inverted right now, but can play on either flank as a number 10, pretty much across the front line. Um... And some might ask, given all this information, what's the big deal? He's 18, plays for Celtics Reserves, plays for the U19s. Is he even in the first team picture? He is, because Ange Postacoglu, the coach of Celtic, apparently is quite high on him. He does give youth a chance, a lot. And even with Celtic's plethora of wingers, he's probably going to sign a first team contract very soon, as the report said. And then we'll probably get some game time at some point during the season, probably before it ends. And last time he represented Scotland was U16 as well. Yeah. And Celtic did actually fend off interest from a number of clubs. Uh, Southampton, Liverpool, Leicester, where ex-Celtic coach Brendan Rodgers works. He ended up joining Celtic instead. So they fought off a lot of competition for him. He was a trial at all of these clubs and ultimately chose Celtic. The only curious part about this is... I think the Daily Record mentioned this. Canada's U20s have contacted him for a call-up, which is impossible unless... Microciclos. Unless there is a microciclo, as they call it in Spanish. A, a literally, microcycle. Like, just a, a camp before 2024, because that's when the next CONCACAF U20 championship is. By that point, he'll, be he'll probably be too old. But if there's a camp at any point in the next 15 months he can probably get called up and take part in it. And for what it's worth, I'm told he has much more interest in representing Canada than Scotland because Scotland has not called him up to their under-19s despite the fact that he's probably more than good enough to represent that program. Yeah, it should be interesting to monitor the progress of Bruno Davison. I mean, again, just 18. I feel like super young. 
uh, for that age. It's going to be tough that he's a winger just because Canada's winger depth, as we know, already in tough for some very promising prospects like Theo Corbinal. We see the battle, battle between Liam Miller, Corbinal, Luca Culeosha still. Also. And we're only going to lose Hoylet in the next couple of years. Yeah, so that's yeah, Hoylet still, the thing is, yeah. Hoylet, he's still got a good four or five years in him knowing how, how good he is as well. Alfonso Davies obviously not going anywhere. So it's obviously the winger depth is good, but you can never have too many wingers. You're always one or two knocks away from needing to go down the lineup. And, you know, it's good chance for Davidson to develop long term. Uh, Celtics, a good club, especially when it comes to youth development. Uh, they historically do well at the youth level. And as Peter mentioned, does a well, good job of funneling players through. So to see, you know, he's doing well enough at the second team. If he can progress up to the first team, breakthrough. I mean, if the breakthrough at Celtic at 19 would be pretty remarkable and would show that, hey, maybe it's not someone for, definitely not someone for 2022, but hey, it's someone long-term for 2026. You have to remember at 18, that means they're going to be what? They'll be 20. Two pretty much by the time, maybe twenty three by the time the world no twenty two. He's going to be twenty six kick off by the time twenty thirty comes around. So he's going to be in his prime for the next cycle after. So these are the sort of players that now you can look at long term for not just the next cycle but cycles to come as building blocks for that next generation when the other guys phase out. The twenty one and twenty two year olds they can play up till the twenty thirty four World Cup. Probably depending on on the player. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, But so we know that he wants to represent Canada. Uh, we know that uh, he's been contacted by multiple clubs, and we know as well that he's rated highly within Celtics uh-huh. ranks. Uh, the question I have for you uh, is, how does he compare to uh, Marcel Flores, who obviously just decided to play for uh, Mexico, and like Davidson, uh, wasn't a professional yeah. in a similar boat, having to decide uh, what country to represent so early? I would say... Based on what I have seen from each of them at that age and, and at that point in their development, they're probably about the same. Flores is probably a little more hard to describe. He's more of a live wire, right? Like he's he's more of a guy who's going to want to get on the ball, take on defenders and like, you know, kind of dictate the game in all areas. Whereas Davidson is more than happy to kind of hug the touchline, sometimes drift inside, but he'll tend to want to feed his teammates from the wing. So... That would be the one difference I would say. The vision is there. Like The vision is actually quite good for someone that age, which is really promising to see. Technically speaking, still very good, just maybe not on the level of a Flores, but the fact that he already has a pretty clear pathway to the first team is obviously what makes the difference here. Continuing with the list of questions, Rude Trude, looking back at the Uruguay friendly, why did Canavan T backline have trouble defending in transition? High line, question mark. Lack of anticipation or lack of foot speed? I know two words, midfield pivot. Yes, that, I mean, we discussed this in depth in the last episode, did we not? Um, but it, it did come down to, to many things, but that is probably the best way to describe it is the double pivot. Because as I said earlier, when discussing the Estacchio and how he fits into a trio, they struggled to build from the back because of that. Um, it led to some sloppy turnovers because they were nervous at times in possession. Um, stretched out as yeah, well. The double pivot getting stretched out and therefore there was tons of space to exploit whenever they were pressing or in, in many situations. Hence the call for a trio because that would pretty much solve all of those issues. And, you know, I did say that the Piet Estacchio pivot probably wouldn't be fast enough to cope with a team like Uruguay and potentially Croatia. Um And in a way, I guess I was proven right, but that doesn't mean the double pivot can't work at all. It still can, just maybe not in that situation. But when you leave the likes of Vittoria and Miller exposed like that, 
They aren't the fastest on the turn, or in Vittoria's case, in general. <laughs> uh, so you're bound to have problems in transition. Well, I'd say it really, it, well, it didn't boil down to the double pivot itself, but most of the problems originated from the double pivot. Canada, again, trying to break down the low block. They got too stretched. Often, Ustakia would kind of roam around, and Piet would also draw to one side. So one, then when they'd lose the ball, there'd be a giant gap in the middle. And then also in possession, Canada had pushed up to create a high line. And, you know, what Canada tries to do is they try to get numbers behind the ball into a mid to low block. The problem is when your midfielders are stretched out and you turn over the ball and Uruguay was able to run through that midfield space unopposed, usually what happens is a guy like Ustakia or Hutchinson or even Piet, when they're in the midfield there, they just, they, they, they don't try to foul, but they try to disrupt. They try to make Uruguay, they try to make a team go back so they can get their line deep. So it was a combination of... The, you know, the mid, the, usually the sequence we saw most often was Canada would get the ball, either they'd turn it over in midfield or at the full back, Uruguay would take the ball, they'd break the midfield line, and then they'd run at Canada's back three on a pose, whereas in most situations what Canada would want is, okay, they turn over the ball, one of the midfielders disrupts him, forces him to go back, fouls it, slows down the play, allows the defenders to get set behind the ball, and then they're fine in transition. Mm-hmm. So really, I want to say double pivot. It's those combination of things. And I think if Canada wants to play a double pivot, they have to ensure it doesn't get stretched, that they keep a good space between their lines so that if they're turning the ball over, they're not getting you know broken through and then creating those sort of dangerous mm-hmm. transition moments. Yeah. Tim Collette um, wants to know, if the Kahneman team plays a three-man midfield at the World Cup, who do you drop, Adekubi or Laren? I think it's probably going to be Kyle Laren. Probably one of the strikers, but Laren We saw the that because John Herman even qualifiers was comfortable yeah, bringing right. Jonathan David off the bench. He was that's comfortable right. bringing Kyle Laren off the bench, whereas a guy like Sam Adekubi, he's a must-starter at this point, just in terms of the left-footedness, the progression, the defending. Uh, he just does it all down that left side, and you'd be losing a lot more when you take him out. Obviously, you lose something when you don't have a Laren on, or even if you obviously if you don't have a David on. But for Canada against these top teams as well, they're going to need that progression. They're going to need that defensive yes. ability that frees up Davies to play higher up the pitch. A guy like Adekubi, uh, Johnson as well. All these guys have proven to be integral. You're not going to cut out any of the midfielders. It kind of leaves no. the forwards and Davies and ain't going nowhere. It's down to David Laren. Most exactly. most cases, it's going to be Laren. Although, as Herman shows, in the right case, he won't. He's not shy to put David on the bench and have him come off for 40-45. I know we've hammered the point of David needing to play in a front two, but there is one exception. If he is going to be a lone number nine, if he's part of a fluid front line that plays with a high tempo, as we see with Lille, there will be lanes that open up. So. He can make those late runs and manipulate the spaces and, and whatnot. So, and, and who better to, to be part of that front line with than Alfonso Davies and Tejon Buchanan, plus one of Osorio or Kone or Watherspoon maybe in behind them. Blair Donnelly, uh, which group stage World Cup opponent matches up best with our speed? Are we the fastest team in our group? Could you see a team fry up and beat us at our own game? Do you see Kennedy playing instead of Vittoria or those teams that may try and use speed? against us That's, well considering uh croatia and belgium are older not even age. no they just don't, they're not really their pro best players are there there's no real track stars there in terms of a lot of their best players are guys who like to take their time on the ball they're more of you know you think of de bruyne you think of luka modric i think it would probably be morocco just because a guy like hakimi he is so fast on and off the ball yeah that's the team who would probably be able to match canada's pace uh, you know they got a few other live wires 
uh, who can get up the field. I mean, Croatia does have some fast players. It's just usually those players are not really, they don't depend on them. They don't, it really doesn't fit their system. You see wingers, for example, like Perisic preferred to, to some other guys, like an Orsic, who's really fast. You watch him for Dinamo Zagreb. So I, I think it's just more in terms of who actually uses their speed. It's more Morocco than the other two. Yeah. And in terms of if, maybe if you want to flip the question around and say, oh, which team would maybe struggle the most against Canada's speed, you might actually say it is Belgium, given their very slow aging backline. We saw that in Nations League. Yeah, somewhere. exactly. And and if that pivot is going to be as stretched as it looked in Nations League, which I can't imagine it will come World Cup time, but if it is, a lot all the of more questions reason. around the center backs of Belgium right now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Will Kennedy play instead of Vittoria if they're playing a fast team? No. I don't think so. Vittoria will be the go-to center back, provided he's available, whether that's, you know, he doesn't have a suspension and whatnot. But Kennedy's going to be the first guy off the bench. In, in the defense. The uh, it, it, yeah. Well, it depends. He was going to start. He was going to start in that second game. I mean, the thing is, like, obviously it's going to be question mark of who's fitness, etc. But say you're... You're Canada and, I don't know, Victoria struggling against a Romelu Lukaku physically, depending on his fitness, a guy like Daniel Henry is the guy I'd turn to in that situation. Honestly, just yeah. In terms of handling... The look the- you are giving us right now is so funny. All I'm saying is... But like- he's right. Because a, a guy like Kennedy, he's, he's big, but he's not necessarily physical. He's no. not a guy who's going to want to tangle with a guy like Romelu Lukaku. And so. again, the hips don't lie. And again, the hips do not lie. So no. I'm saying, provided the fitness... If you can trust him to, to give you 30, 40 minutes off the bench and Lukaku is... Giving Alistair Johnson and Steven Vittoria trouble yeah. in the first half, you could see Daniel Henry turn to as well. Honestly, yeah, he would be the one guy I probably would trust in a one-on-one duel with Romelu Lukaku. Uh, to the domestic game we go, because in MLS, CF Montreal keep on rolling. They beat DC United 1-0 at home and can still finish top of the Eastern Conference standings, depending on decision day results. Marco Vajo, as Kenneman T fans, should we want CF Montreal to finish with the best record in the East, or, or do we want them to finish second so they can get as many games as possible before the World Cup and don't have to deal with the first round by curse? It's a flip side, because the thing is, this year with the East, I think four teams are, are vying for the last, or five teams are vying for the last three spots. Mm-hmm. So they're going to go down to the wire and they're going to be fresh. Yeah. So if you're the second place team, you're playing a team that's fought their lives. Yes. And there's some sleeper teams there, like a Columbus is, you know, giving Montreal trouble all year. They've got Cucho Hernandez, they've got Lucas Ilarayan. You don't want to deal with them in the first round. Uh, alternatively, if you're Montreal, you probably wouldn't hate facing a Miami, although they've been in really good form as of late. And they're but they honestly, in the games they played against Miami this year, I know they drop points against them at home, but they controlled that game. If they just eliminate the mistakes in transition that they had, which allowed Miami into that game, I favor them 100% against a team like that. Columbus would be the team, though, that would concern me if I was a Montreal fan. So it's kind of flip. I'd say, yeah, you want as many games as you want before the World Cup, but also it doesn't matter if you... You know, you play two games and you're out anyway. So you want the best path to MLS Cup Final. I still think winning helps. Uh, you know, you the break it comes out, the break can't hurt. But I think if they finish second, as long as they avoid Columbus, it's not a bad proposition for them at home to get a good run of home games. If they finish first, as it stands, they play the Red Bulls or Cincinnati, who are, I believe, currently fourth and fifth, respectively. And that would be the team they'd face. The winner of that would be the team they'd face in the conference semis if they win the East. Otherwise, Cincy is a team you don't want. Cincy is a team that would scare me. The, even the Red Bulls. Like, the Red Bulls gave Montreal problems with their high press. 
whenever they were building from the back. So, but listen, it's the playoffs. You're facing against the best teams in the conference. You're not going to have an easy matchup at the end of the day. You just have to go out there and just get the job done in a one-off game. Well, that's I mean, the thing. Since you don't want to face unrest, just because they're so offensive, they're the kind of team that can get a goal or two, and the next thing you know, you're you're, you're trying to deal with that. But again, there, there's it's really a, there's there's pros and cons to both. To most, I do think. Yes, the first place curse is something to consider, but with it being a one-game playoff, those things are sort of as much as circumstance. Like last year, like who was going to see New England losing to penalties on New York after it was like a four-four game? Like yeah, that, that exactly. was that was wild. That was sort of at a certain point it was a fluke. And to be honest, that's what the playoffs are. So hopefully Montreal can ride the crapshoot as much as they can and go as far as they can because mm-hmm. they certainly deserve it based on good they made. Question from Star. Uh, if Wanyama isn't renewed and Kone is sold, could Schwanyar, Zuhir, and Piet do the job as an all-Canadian midfield or is it too defensive? Does it lack the quality Wanyama brings? Can Zuhir be the next Kone? You know what? I don't hate the idea. Um, keep in mind that they also have Sean Rea coming back, who's going to be the Mihailovic replacement, you would imagine. He's going to be. Right? So... You, you have him, and then if you have two of those guys in a pivot, even if it's Piet and Chaunier, which we've seen on occasion this season, I think that's more than fine. They have the offensive characteristics to, to chip in here and there. We know that Piet is defensively sound. Chaunier is improving in that regard. I think it's totally more than fine, just dependent on who that one Yama rep- or who that Mihailovic replacement is, whether that's Sean Rea or they go into the market and get somebody else. I think Azuhir is going to play a pretty big role this year before Ismail Kone came out of nowhere. Yeah, literally. Everyone has to remember Ismail Kone burst on the scene what game? Second leg, Santos Laguna, Olympic Stadium. I was luckily in the stadium and got to witness Ismail Kone for the first time. Coincidence? I don't know. I was he was mesmerizing to watch that day. But who started the first leg on the road in Mexico was Rita Zuhir. And he looked good. The thing is with Rita Zuhir, he's... One thing that Kone has is flash. Like, Kone, he's a, a winger, number 10, converted. So here's, like, a glue guy. You know what I mean? Like, like, like he'll, he won't do anything he's not that like, looks extravagant, but he's a solid midfielder. He's just not going to, you know. He's not, that's just not his style. No, like he's, exactly. he's pretty skilled. He has that in him. He's just not necessarily his style to go out and... Kone's flash. Like this yes, guy in his, first, in his first game, he's playing in a Champions League home tie where his, you know, his team needs a goal at home. And he chipped. He tried to chip the keeper like within the first 30 minutes. Like that's Kone. Kone's got that that yeah. edge to him. He came on against in World Cup qualifiers, and he he has this edge. But a guy like Zhu here, he's got a very high floor. That's the way I'd say. Look at him. Describe him. like he's physically built. He's a good passer. He seems to read the game pretty well. Defensively, he gets stuck in. I have no doubt that if he's given an opportunity to grow, he could really become, because he's a sort of, he looks like a midfielder that a lot of coaches would trust in a sense. Because a guy like Kone, uh, he's, he's someone, since he's a bit of a wild card, not all coaches would trust him at first. Since he's lucky, a guy like Wilfred Nets, he gave him that opportunity and really, you know, rode with him. And since then, he's obviously Kone's taken it with both hands, et cetera. But a guy like Zhu here, he's a kind of, the, the guy who will make the safe play in. and that's not a bad thing at all and he does have potential for a lot more upside so I definitely think he can slot in and do a job from there and alongside him Schwanier certainly can be a guy uh, he, he's so versatile that's the thing with him he can play wing back he can play wing uh, he can he can, can play as an 8 now yeah, like he can it's... play as an 8 but he's 
relatively comfortable on the ball. I think the one thing he'll have to learn is just his turns and just adjusting his hips in possession because sometimes he does Those lock hips, it. Man. He locks it to one side. You can tell that's a bit of the wide player in him. But for the most part, he's very fluid, especially for a guy who's you know, been playing a lot of out wide to move into the midfield as he has. So I think between those three, it offers different profiles. You can have Zuhir if you need just a bit more of a normal, just a shuttler, uh, whereas a guy like Zuhir can come in and be, you know, someone who can be a little more of a like-for-like like in terms of Kone. And to be fair, that's what we saw this year from Montreal. Some games would be Wanyama and Piet. Some games it would be Wanyama and Kone. He's kind of, or Kone and Piet. He's kind of mm-hmm. rotated through those three profiles. And I think if you use Schwanier, Piet, and Zuhir, you know, maybe you'd have to turn Piet from more of the Wanyama replacement. Zuhir would be more of the Piet replacement. Yeah. Schwanier would be more the Kone. They all kind mm-hmm. of have those similar profiles. Yeah. Hips don't lie. The new slogan for NFP officially. Yeah, man. Hips don't lie. They never do. Speaking of Zuhir, um, if we get uh, Patrice Bernay on the show uh, it will be nice to ask questions to him as he is a direct link with that team uh, Arch Stanton uh, why does Matthew Chenier uh, get no Kahneman love well he, he was injured a lot for starters but Canada's deep at wing back which is where he was playing when he was in form last year and now he's finding his role in Montreal as an eight and right now it's just too early but if he continues to grow in that position he will be a name for 26. And I can imagine he'll get a lot of time next season as well. So maybe he'll get into some Nations League squads. Maybe if there is a January camp, which I can't imagine there will be, he gets a call-up. But that's really the only reason. Well, Schwanier was my second behind Atacubi at a point. At points this season and last. It's just... Last season for sure. Christian Gutierrez would pop up. And then Raheem Edwards obviously broke up. You add in you know, all the, the depth like movement at right wing back. Now in the midfield, I think more of a chance to him in the midfield. Plus, he's versatile. John Herdman loves versatility. Yes, he does. Uh, so a guy like Schwanier does have a chance. It's just about consistency, about reps. Last year, he had more of a chance just because he, he went on that streak where he's just playing every week. He was doing well. This year, it's a bit been a bit more stop-start just because Montreal's been so deep. He's had his injuries as well. But no, 100%. He's a good player. He's a guy I'm not sleeping on. He's still only like 23 as well, so he's not... You know, we can't say he's aging out or anything like that. He's still a young player who has a lot of potential for the next cycle uh, with that versatility and how he's progressed in the last year and a half. Could even put him in the Provisional World Cup squad. If he, he, really he probably will be. I mean, if it's 55 names, we'll see guys. Like oh, yeah. Schwanier. Well, it's 55. Yeah, yeah. up oh, to yeah. 55. And you, know, to, you, you know Herdman, he'll probably name up to he, 55. He will literally... He will take every single inch of he, that. He will throw dual nationals in just to, like we saw Marcelo Flores yeah. and yeah, etc. Yeah. in the Gold Cup squad. Like we'll he'll see. go to Daniel Jefferson and be like, "Guess what? You're on there." Yeah, Bruno Davidson. I'm sure will be in there now. Probably so, slip in a few others. We'll see a good return for Juan Cordova as well. And yeah, there. yeah. Juan Cordova. Wow. <laughs> Maybe throw in Amir Bachi in there. He's getting some minutes for Sochi recently. So, hey, that's actually not a bad uh, shout. Matt 12, Mark 1. What CF Montreal Academy products do you see being loaned to the CPL next year? Uh, do Yao, Surah, and Rhea all make the MLS team next year? Uh, well, I mean, for, for Rhea, I mean, you guys already mentioned. Well, the, the, they're all going to make it, I think, because uh, yeah. it's a foregone conclusion for Rhea because Mihailovic mm-hmm. is, is gone, gone, so that's going to be an open spot right there. But even if Mihailovic was staying, you would still imagine he'd compete for a place. Um, Yao is the same. I know Camacho is still contracted until 2023, but 
Gabriele Corbo's on loan from Bologna. He's probably going to get sent back. And then if they lose a Miller or a Johnston, I guess maybe not so much Johnston, but if they lose Miller, another spot opens up. Yao can slot in there and, and compete for a place. Sirwa is surely on the roster if either Bretza returns to Bologna from his loan or James Pantamis isn't retained because he has a club option for 23. So depending on who Montreal decides to keep, Sirwa can compete yep, for the other place. but he's no longer the Valor number one, so... He was doing excellent. He has been the Valor number. It's just Valor has a very good contingency plan. Yes, who they want to push. Because he's not Valor property. So they need to have a contingency plan. And yes, is a very good contingency plan. But I think for Montreal, it's clear because I think Brezza's gone after this year. He had his moments. Thing is with Brezza, he's he's a frustrating one because he has a lot of good tools. Like he's huge. He makes great stops. It's just things like his rebound control, his play with his feet. Like he's someone, Which was actually decent last year. All of a sudden, it's just no longer as good. Like He's someone who needs almost like a year of seasoning at like a, a CPL or USL level, almost, I'd say. Just because he has MLS-level shot-stopping. It's yeah. just little things. It's the other and stuff. positioning as well was another thing that yeah. hurt him a lot. Yeah. So I think Brezza's done this year, as in he'll go back to Bologna. From there, they'll probably loan him out to a team within Europe. Or maybe, you know, a different team takes a punt on him if they need goalkeeping. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they sign him and send him on loan in the CPL. Who knows? Yeah, maybe Toronto FC takes a punt on him as a backup. <laughs> Honestly, wouldn't be bad. I mean, again, if you if you have a goalkeeper, funny thing enough, the Whitecaps looking for a goalkeeper, a guy like Yusuf Daha working with the frame like Sebastian Brez. I wouldn't hate cool. the idea because just because, again, it's basically all this to say, well, enough about Brez. I, Brez will probably be gone. Pantemis has actually been really good. I think Sirwa can push Pantemis, whereas Easily. keep Pantemis good. You have Sirwa ready. Yeah. Yao will certainly have opportunities, even if Camacho stays. It'll be good to have that mentorship between the two. Yao's got the two seasons under his belt. Mm-hmm. Rea's going to play. He's been phenomenal this year for Valor. As for the other way around, it's tough to see because, I mean, the Montreal does have a pretty, you know, a pretty good U- U23 team that likes testing themselves in the the plsq it's been a bit of a learning curve and a lot of guys have preferred staying there like kishan francois i'll get to that kishan ferdinand was sent uh offered to go on loan to the cpl again after spending time with ottawa chose to stay with the u23 as he wanted to be around uh so i wouldn't say i followed the u23 team enough with montreal to say there's some guys maybe some of the guys we saw in um Pardon me, the U20s, like uh, a Cloutier or a Henri. Mm, yeah, not bad. Maybe get a chance. Renard wants to send these guys on loan. He wants his youngsters to get oh, pro minutes. He so many times. it's just up to them taking the opportunity. Those are kind of the ones I see guys who are maybe in, in between. Because the zoo here is going to play in MLS yeah, next exactly. year. Exactly. Jean Daniel SC could probably also end up back there. Because I think with maybe enough, he's almost going to follow that Sean Ray path in that he'll. You know, he has like a few minutes here and there, does pretty well with those minutes in his first season, but then becomes a permanent starter in the second season. And then he'll come back to Montreal a little more seasoned. And Renard was also pissed, uh, you know, the fact that some of those guys didn't decide to go to the CPL. Yeah, well, it's yeah. A, for some of them, you could see how the CPL really benefited a lot of these guys who went. Like Yao was on the cusp of the first team in 2019. I remember he was called up for the the he played some canadian championship minutes he was on the England, i remember and then he just wasn't able to break through now he's yeah. got two good pro seasons sean ray as well he's sean ray had a, a primavera and a series e option and he decided with the cpl so no i think it was uh, you can see how much the guys all in the cpl have improved all five of that contingent of assi yao rea uh, Sirwa, they've all improved they've all done well there's a fifth in there that is eluding me right off the top of my head but we'll maybe get back to it. Um, but either way, yes, Montreal, 
they're going to want to loan some of these guys out. And they do have a lot of options just between their academy. Maybe even a guy like Geraldo. He went to Ottawa in 2021. Yeah. And he's just been really injured this year. Maybe he wants just to get another year in the mm-hmm. CPL after spending most of the year out injured. He's another one, too, as well. Oh, so, Alex, so you mentioned earlier Montreal, the hotbed for goalkeepers. Um, I can only think of the Some have that haven't worked out, even uh, Axel Desjardins, who was with uh, Specia's first team. The Vancouver Whitecaps are miraculously still alive after a number of results over the weekends, uh, which fell in their favor. They shut out Austin 2-0 with Lucas Kellini scoring. Uh, the second in his return from suspension, Ryan Gold had a goal and an assist as well. In Stanky, he asked, what an insane weekend around MLS with all the results that went the Whitecaps' way. With how well the Whitecaps are playing and the poor form of Minnesota is in right now, do you guys actually believe that the Whitecaps will pull off this miracle? Come on, Whitecaps. Well, I guess Peter and I, first of all, just be warned, we might approach this with our Vancouver hats on, which is doom and gloom, which is they're going to find a it's way. It's so Vancouver sports. They're going to find a way to, to just disappoint. Because here's what happens. Vancouver sports teams, just when you have given up on them, they get your hopes up, you have some optimism, they're finally going to figure it out, and then they disappoint you in that crucial moment. So they're either going to draw or they're going to have a lead and then lose it or like something wild is going to happen and they're going to end up missing the playoffs as a result. Anyways, analytically to answer this question, <laughs> Minnesota, five losses and one draw in their last yep. six games. Losses to teams against like San Jose. Funnily, the one draw was against LAFC of all teams, so that's the game they chose to step up. So analytically, they're Whitecaps three wins in a row. Plus, the big thing is they're finally playing some of their best players in best positions. We've uh-huh. seen a f- this version of Ryan Gold again has been unplayable. Imagine if he had started the season. If he played like this. Honestly, if he's playing on a team that's like an LAFC, you're talking about this guy as a legit MVP candidate if he's playing like yeah. that over the course of a full season. Like he's been unplayable. So you got that. You got Pedro Vite finally getting his opportunity and looking phenomenal. You got, you know, Brian White doing Brian White things where even if he doesn't score, he defends. You got Lucas Cavallini who scored off the bench. Always nice to have that sort of depth. Uh, the defense finally looks settled. Honestly, the defense is. Analytics-wise, has been really good over the last 10, 15 games, funnily enough. They've been one of the bottom 10 teams in terms of XG against, funnily enough, over the last 10 to 15 games it is. They've just had some really horrid luck with goalkeeping, which Thomas Asal has settled. He's been better. He's settled a lot lately. So all the pieces have clicked. Most importantly, Vanny Sartini has finally settled on a formation and a lineup. Uh, So as long as he keeps his lineup and his formation... Yes, the Whitecaps have just two road wins this season, but on paper, if they keep the lineup, they keep these guys hot, they go into this game. The odds are in their favor. Anastanky asks, was this the last home game that Lucas Kellyan has ever played in a Whitecaps kit? I mean, there have been reports that, uh, you know, Mexican teams are looking at him. The thing is, his contract situation's a bit unique. He has an option, but, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see because if they keep him around, it'll be a town striker and you know seeing how good Cavallini's been off the bench whether again with the, with Cavallini it feels like a lot of the judgment around him is centered rightfully or unfairly around the yellow cards around the discipline it's a fair discussion to have he has nine goals this year he's about to hit double digits a lot he's scored a bunch of goals off the bench as well he can provide value off the bench if the Whitecaps do bring in a starting striker that could be a nice avenue to have Cavallini as your TAM guy sometimes you pair him up front with the new guy uh, then maybe the new guy leads the line. You try to trade Brian White within MLS because I'm sure an American striker who's consistently scored goals will have some currency as the Whitecaps uh, learn. So 
I don't I don't know with Cavalini. If anything, it might be up to him. Maybe he it's hundred percent. Maybe he doesn't want to return. Because I think logically for the Whitecaps, if he's a Tam player, I'd oh, take 100% him back. Take, I, yes. I'd take him back a nine goal score on Tam money. DP money, you can definitely make the argument. Maybe not, especially because he'll be thirty in December. Maybe so. not so much worth it. But as a Tam player, hundred percent. It's just a matter of okay, will Cavalini want to stay here? I mean, he and his family seem to like the city. It's just going to be a question of who doesn't. What does he What does he think of the, the sporting project? So, what would have happened if uh, Ral Bailoid actually signed him no, when those reports came out? When those reports came out. But anyways, Mexico bound, more than likely. Uh, yeah, it's not more than likely. He was only, his best. Only TFC, TFC needs a number nine. TFC needs a number nine. He's friends with Jonathan Osorio. Boom. Yeah, but that idea that's, has been that's flo- what'll happen. Yeah, but that idea has been floated around so long and TFC still haven't acted on it. It doesn't matter. They they could well, act they on it this offseason. They weren't gonna pay five yeah, million to the white cops for it. But if he's there, all of a sudden available yeah. for cheap. Plus, this is his best club season he's had since twenty nineteen. That is the last time he had this prolific of campaign, and the underlying numbers sort of back this up. He's actually had a really, really good season, not just scoring, but also being a provider, holding up the ball, pressing, everything. Well, that's it. I was going to say about Lucas Cavallini. In between all the suspensions, which again, very fair stickling, uh, stick point, but he's looked good. He's a physical presence as long as he's staying on the right side of the line. He makes good runs in behind. He can really hold onto the ball too, which is great because he works well with Ryan Gold because he can take a defender, take it two defenders, open up space uh, for him. So there, there's a reason why Lucas Cavallini has had a good season. Like Peter mentioned, um, uh, you know, underlying numbers, he's always very good at fouls with one xg some you know even some uh some progressive passes some some just shot creating actions dribbles etc so again not a bad season at all if you just take the suspensions out of the equation also when you consider too he's not the tallest striker like people see him and think oh he's like six feet six foot he's one. like five eleven he, he, he's about five ten five eleven and he wins a lot of aerial duels well. thank you thank you for that insightful comment the- that Lucas Kalini had with Kane shirt was that U.S. game. I can't really remember him having another meaningful game like that. He uh, scored against Curacao. He, he was a pain in the ass. Well, off he the came b- off the bench and scored against Curacao at home. He like, was a pain was... in the ass against Mexico off the That's bench right. and helped them yeah. kill the game. Yeah, just and because the not, not not to that level. No, but just because you don't score doesn't mean you know, or, or you don't have like a bunch of shots or something doesn't mean you're not productive. Especially that consistency. He's been fairly consistent for Canada. There's a reason Herdman's brought him off the bench and he has fulfilled the role that he's been asked. So hasn't been to be the Vibes guy? No, he's going to to actually be... He has nine goals this year. Yeah. The thing is, if you're looking at strikers... and that's Last year, last year he didn't deserve to get called up, but he brought him on because, you know, to keep... What do you mean he didn't deserve to get called up? He finished the season strong. Yeah, when if you look at the other... Yeah. You look at the other parts of the season, he was not really playing. When he was playing, he wasn't playing well. You're, when was last year? You're talking about when he was being brought on. Yeah, but Cav- he was scoring for Canada. He was doing well for Canada. You remember the qualifiers he was scoring in? Well, that's the thing Based that, on club season in the beginning. Doesn't matter. But if you're doing well for Canada, like guys who are not doing well at club level have still gotten called up to the national. But by that logic, Kyle Lahren shouldn't be called up to the national. So there was a higher argument than when Ugbo committed that Cavalier should have been dropped. There was an argument, and, yes. And he, but he played his way yes, out of that exactly. argument. And that's the thing, again, with Cavallini. It's, it's the nine goals. Yes, a couple of them have been penalties, but the underlying numbers. Who's scoring like them? Last year, uh, other than Jonathan David, I think Liam Miller was the leading goal scorer in Europe yes. for, among Canadians with 10. Uh, so Cavallini's currently at nine. I think in MLS, the top Canadian goal scorer would have probably been because uh, Tesho Akindeli had a good season. Jonathan Desorio had a good season. 
uh, Peter can check. It wasn't more than seven or eight. Like again, in terms of a striker scoring goals, Cavallini is a striker scoring goals. He brings the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole discussion comes down to disciplinary issues, and obviously, considering Erdman called him up, probably talked to him. Cavallini has said, uh, you know, he's had that discussion. Obviously, uh, you know, he's he's going to get that call. Mm-hmm. Speaking of indisciplinary issues, always Sweeney <laughs> ask. Does Cavallini picking up yet another stupid yellow in his cameo appearance Saturday change your mind at all about his woman in Qatar? I no. think the answer is a resounding no. Um, Stanky asks, can you three please pull some strings again, Ryan Gold, Canadian citizenship, what a player? Ineligible. Well, he, he just needs a couple of years. Yeah. He never played for Scotland at yeah. the uh, youth level. Didn't he play for Scotland youth level? Not competitively. And even if you do, he was young enough that you can still switch. Provided he stay in Canada for five years. Well, Ryan Gauld, he's unplayable right now. So, yes, I mean, hey, if by 2025, he's still in Vancouver, still killing it. He wants to be Canadian. Give him a call up if, uh, if there's room for him. That's all I'd say. Who, whose spot does he take, though? It's 2025. I don't think we know who's going to be playing yeah, realistically by thing. then. I mean, right now. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe if he, he was eligible right now. Right now, if, you, if he's eligible, I mean, you look at the midfield depth and Canada is calling out for a number 10. I think you make, he'd make it as one of the seven easily. midfielders. Easily. He'd easily be in that top seven group. If You not, could then justify he could even drop start. a K or drop a whoever you want, really. If you go in a midfield trio of like a Ustakio Akone and like a Gold, for oh example. Oh my God. Do not tease me like this. <laughs> Peter almost just fell over his Do chair. Do not tease me like this. I think he, he, he would be a, a, in consideration to start if he were on Canada. So, yes, if he's still at that level in five years, sign me up. Finally, Toronto FC ended their home schedule with a whimper, losing one nothing to Inter-Miami uh, with Gonzalo Higuain, who just announced his retirement, scoring the winner. By the way, thank you, Gonzalo Higuain, for the two Cup Americas. I yes. love you. Yeah, literally. <laughs> the last joy you're going to enjoy is a Chile fan. Honestly, Gonzalo Higuain puts... Either of those chances he away. Is loved you in have Chile. absolutely fuck all he is to loved. brag about. He is loved in Chile. I'm we sure should, he we is. We should hold him as tribute. I am sure he is, yes. <laughs> Erect a statue of him. Chris talks. Uh, with Bob Bradley not seemingly sure what Yaquil Marshall Reddy's best position is, where do you see him playing for TFC next season? I would like to see him how he does as an eight. Dom Gagnon, what to do about Marshall Reddy? Now that Bradley has said he doesn't know where to play him, should we be concerned that TFC is still not playing their youth in meaningless in mean, meaningless games? Well, the bad news is I think the best position for Jaquil Marshall-Ruddy is as an inverted winger. Yes. And and the, problem, <laughs> the problem is they signed this one guy named Lorenzo Insigne who's probably going to play yeah. a lot of minutes yeah. as an inverted winger. Yeah. Uh, and that's just an unfortunate case. Same thing with Jaden Nelson, who's yeah. been excellent as a winger and pretty good as an eight, but better as a winger. Mm-hmm. That's the flip side of bringing in Signe and Bernadeschi, two fantastic players, but then you kind of look at some of the top prospects in the system. TFC, there's a lack of natural midfielders. They then traded away Ralph Preso, who was one of the better up-and-coming uh, midfielders. Again, I was interested to see in the MLSU 22, under 22, that when they interviewed the executives, that three or more executives all mentioned that they really liked Ralph Priso's upside, which was like... I'm in agreement with them. And he, I so. agree as well. He's, he's, a, he's a good midfield prospect. I mean, no Bullockello as well is a good midfield prospect, but they need more number eight. So uh, it's funny, again, if you're TFC, I would have loved them to sign an Insigne equivalent player in midfield and given a guy like a Jaquil Marshall-Rudy. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a run on the wing. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think I agree with Chris in the sense that he could do okay as an eight. I just don't feel he's just best when he's running at guys because he's not like breakaway quick. He's mm-hmm. not someone who's going to destroy you with pace, but he's but very, hips. he's very technically sound. The hips, Alex. Yes, he's he, he can when at, at fullback, for example, when he had his best games for TFCs when they had a lot of possession, he mm-hmm. wasn't having to bust his yeah, gut yeah, up yeah. and down the field. So I think he's. The way he's technically proficient, he's got a decent shot on him. He can create his best as a bit of an inverted winger. I do believe, though, he's probably going to go to Europe or at least test Europe again during the offseason. And if that's the case... I think case, he has to if there's an offer there. Exactly. He, he's going to end up as a wingback or fullback because that's where he trialed that. Teams liked him there. And I like him there, too. I think he'll be a, a very capable, solid, attack-minded fullback who will eventually get the defensive side of his game in there. He's still very young. People do forget that part of it. He's 18, 19 years old. He's going to to figure it out, but I think Europe is probably the, the best way for him to be able to get those minutes. Well, I think he just he needs MLS minutes. Every time he's had a, had a run, he's looked you know good, especially... Then he got hurt, which was unfortunate. Yeah, so. then he's gotten hurt. So I think he needs MLS minutes. If that's not happening in a, his natural position in Toronto or even at fullbacks, I assume... Again, bringing in trade him. Uh, yeah, like again, maybe. Yeah, I mean, don't trade him just because that, that trade's gonna look awful. It will, but I it, mean, it will age poorly. If so you're I think, if you're Marshall Ruddy, ask for a trade. Yeah, I mean, if the, if a European offer comes this year, I mean, last year obviously he wasn't old enough. He would have had mm-hmm. to wait till June. And then he got injured right before June, mm-hmm. so it fell through. If similar offers are there, take it. Uh, at this point, he just needs minutes. He needs to develop in uh, any sort of league. And I think I'm, he's someone that he would destroy the CPL, so I don't think he'd go to the CPL. I think it would make sense for him to stay in MLS test Europe. Mm-hmm. O&W, are there any plans to have a camp in October featuring out-of-playoff MLS players? Uh, the U.S. are doing this too, and it would give us a friendly opportunity. Well, curiously... When Herbman had his avail after the roster announcement, he did reference that without being asked. The fact the U.S. were having a camp for their MLS players who didn't make the playoffs. I reckon he'd be interested in running one, but financially it just might not be feasible. Because just like everything else with Canadian soccer, is the money there? No then again, if you hold it somewhere in Canada or domestically in the U.S., close to where the U.S. Soccer Federation is going to be doing it, I'm sure it can be done for a reasonable price, and then you have the U.S. to spar with. So it's it's a win-win situation if you can pull it off. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they do it, too, because at that stage of the season, maybe, I don't know, maybe inviting some of the CPL guys and all the guys who miss MLS and have a bit of a early comp, camp routine. Colin Teshawakandeli, Colin Raheem Edwards, uh, call them and get reps. Or by opposite, do you work out a deal with Wilfred Nancy and have them train alongside Montreal as they prepare for the playoffs? You could also... Uh, do that so it's going to be interesting to see i think if you're some of these te- if you're canada you're going to have to get creative that's for sure i think they're going to want to have to hold a camp the question is do you have money to go up set base in a place have a full camp train find an opponent or do you just get creative and maybe you know for example the white caps are supposed to train a few extra weeks after their season is done as they want to keep some of their players fresh and in and form because they have Champions League looming. Maybe if the Whitecaps are doing a few extra weeks of training, Canada could run something with them and, uh, you know, maybe even slip in an opponent in there somewhere. Because at this point, you just need them to get reps and get keep them fit. To the CPL we go. The playoff field is set. Atletico Ottawa, Forge, Calgary, Pacific are all in, while Valor is officially ruled out. Ottawa beat HFX Wanderers 2-1. Forge shot out York United 2-0 in the 9-5 derby. Pacific edged... FC Edmonton won nothing and Calgary outlasted Valor 
one. Atletico leads the table by four points, but Forge and Pacific have a game in hand, so the seeding is still yet to be determined. Uh, Dan Clark with the Campiel season coming to a close. Who are some players that really stuck out this past year? The ones that come to the top of mind, they're all going to follow a theme in that they're all younger players, but Osazi de Rosario, I think is pretty obvious. I never expected him to have that solid an output in the CPL. So to get 11 goals, especially on a York team that was so inconsistent, that just speaks to his quality. Rubens Pasillas made tremendous progress after a fairly slow start trying to kind of work his way into the team. Bobby Smyrniotis was trying to determine what his best front line was, but ever since then, Pasillas has been really solid. I love watching Sean Young play. Same with Isaiah Johnston, those two for sure. And then Zachary Fernandez at HFX Wanderers. I love the way that he gets forward and makes things happen in the final third. If he figures it out defensively next season, you could be talking about one of the best fullbacks in the league. All right, so there's a lot of ways we could go with this question. Um, so, I mean, Peter went through a couple of good young players. I mean, just in no particular order, I'll kind of go through a few teams. I mean, there's just intriguing players all over the league, like Pacific, for example, Manny Aparicio, the way he's been when he's, he's played, when, whenever he's uh, in the lineup. Kunle Dadaluk as well. I've been really impressed with his development as a, a fullback over the course of the season. Of course, add Sean Young. You look even over Edmonton. Every time I watch them, Gabriel Batar and Wesley Timoteo and Mamadi Kamara, those three always impressed every game. They were very consistent. And uh, Batar and Kamara should be back for them next year. So uh, Timoteo obviously on loan. If they can keep those two and build around Kamara and Batar, two players to watch. You, you go through Cavalry. Uh, you know, a lot, lot of impression there. Off the, you know, Your boy John Daniel C. Even Nyonasi. though he's not technically a yeah, contracted Kar- CPL player, but yeah, Karifa Yao, of course, yeah. those two impressed. But even a guy like Meyer Bevan really surprised me how he grew into his role in number nine when healthy, which is a big asterisk with him. Uh, even just randomly an international and Bradley Vliet. I don't know. Every time I watch Calvary, he was very solid along with Jose Escalane. Uh, you go through Valor. I mean, the Sean Reyes show over there. But I, I, you know, a few guys like Rayan Yesley looks like someone who could be a very intriguing prospect long term. Nassim Mekidesh. I'm not sure if he's because he's Algerian hmm. with some Canadian in him, but he really stabilized uh, Valor's uh, backline when he came in. So I'd be very curious to know if uh, is he, he is eligible for Canada in some regard, just because uh, I was intrigued by how he performed as the year uh, went along. Uh, York, Isaiah Johnson, Ozazadi Rosario. Two great Pretty shows. Obvious, yeah. Uh, Isaiah, you know, yeah, Mobabuli surprised me. Uh, Forge, Wubens Passius, I liked a lot what I saw from him at the number nine. Alessandro Hojabapur certainly continues to grow. And he, he's an interesting one. He came in as Pacific as a six and has turned into an eight. He's still I super, did not see that coming either. He's still <laughs> super young as well. He's only 22. And yeah. he's had four really good pro seasons under his belt. He's maybe a bit of a sleeper that isn't talked about in the you know, across the league. Uh, otherwise, I'm just trying to give each team a couple of players. Ottawa? Just I know, so I'm getting Ottawa and <laughs> Ottawa, Halifax. Ottawa in terms of the younger players? Well, Ottawa, Zachary so much, but... and Bahus. Every time I watch, he's a good little number nine in the sense that he, he's young, he interprets space well, he's big as well. I, you know, he's, he's a big number 10. Typically, you don't see a guy of his size. Uh, so I like Bahus and obviously Ali Bassett, Blue Tablo. They've been very fun. Lastly, with Halifax, they're an intriguing one. They have a lot of good defenders to watch, young Canadian defenders. So Classic. that back... 
that back five in particular that really, funnily enough, they had some of their best defensive performances. Watch out for all five. It's, uh, you know, Jake Ruby, Christian Campagna, Gabo Escobar, uh, Zachary Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Omar converted from midfield to center backs. Actually looked very good in the position. Every The, the few games I covered this year, he was the man of the match in both of them, which is phenomenal. So, yeah, a lot of young Canadians, a lot of intriguing players. Uh, Arthur Lashinsky. With the Campiel playoff picture finalized, the first four years have been dominated by Forge, Cavalry, and Pacific. Do we have a top three or we expect to see in playoffs or every year? Or will North American League style our parity eventually seep in and which is better for the league? Well, Ottawa is currently top of the table. They've broken through. Valor was in the playoff hunt most of the season. They were just super unlucky with untimely injuries. So I think that you're getting more parity and or a more even playing field, certainly at the top of the table. And in terms of the likes of York and Edmonton and HFX, I mean, HFX, again, they were a bit unfortunate with injuries themselves as well. Jean Morelli going down definitely didn't help them. I think if he was fully fit, they'd at least have a little bit of a stronger push. And York, once they got Mobabuli in there, started to turn it around. So I think the league is starting to gravitate towards that. Obviously, Forge has a bit of a financial advantage, having been in multiple CONCACAF competitions and and winning the league as well. But eventually, you're going to get an even playing field. And parity is the way to go, because the best way to get fans into the seats and fans interested is teams being successful and teams being in the hunt. So... If, if there's more parity, the better for the league. And banger goals, which is exactly what's yes. happening. Bangers only. Bangers only. Uh, Trademark that. Yeah, well, for the CPL too, what's nice is that teams are learning. Like Pacific had a tough first year. They fired the head coach, Michael Silberbauer, and Pamaduka ended up, you know, really taking, you know, advantage. And they made some good signings. And you're seeing a lot of the teams around the league make good signings. Uh, you know, we're seeing owners as well some owners be aggressive with coaches like i was surprised to see rob gale fired but bringing in phil de santos has I was turned not out surprised. To, i mean i was just surprised you think oh they're going to be loyal and they brought in a guy like phil de santos who's been a bit of a shake-up for them uh you've seen coaches you know you saw york as well bring in martin nash and he is slowly building a system and uh he's brought in some good players so i think overall with the cpl you're seeing a lot of these teams learning from their mistakes they're going to certain avenues uh, for players, obviously, some situations are a bit unfortunate, like Edmonton, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of stability that's going to be required there. But, uh, you know, in terms of the, the other teams, you're seeing a lot of good signings, a lot of good coaches. It feels like a Halifax, for example, they're one or two good signings away from being something like you see flashes of it in games. York as well, as they showed at the end of the season, they're a team that could really cause problems last year because they're so young. Uh, even if they, they sold Abzi and Wright and ended up being better at the end of the season, yeah. which is uh, scary to consider. So I think there will be some parity. You're going to see a lot of cavalry in Ford just because they have such great infrastructure, well-coached. Maybe if they lose Smirniotis or Wielden Jr., it's a whole different discussion, but uh should be a fun few years to see how that develops. Yeah, Smirniotis, as we know, was in conversations with two MLS teams, but he wants to be given the, the shift. He doesn't want to be an assistant. Uh, Vince Alvarado, what do you think is next for Osase de Rosario? Any, any MLS rumors, or do you think he's tries to head back to Europe? Well, if you're him, I mean, use that American passport as much as, you know, exploit the shit out of that. Yeah, I mean, he'll probably have MLS interest this offseason, I'm sure. Teams will bring him in on a trial. Um, I mean, after the season he had, why not? And he's a well-rounded striker. I'm sure a lot of teams could use someone like him. Came up to the New York Academy, New York City FC Academy mm-hmm. as well. So I'm sure teams will, will look at him. And what's nice with him is that because of that U.S. passport, he can go to the U.S. 
and not be a, an international as well. So that will open up the door in terms of opportunities. So I think he's certainly, uh, for example, one really wild card I'll throw out there is Houston. They've got a Canadian general manager. They've looked yeah. at some, uh, they've had some very intriguing head coaching options they've been looking at. Potentially a guy like Ozzie Di Rosario could head to a Houston uh, under Pat Onstad, the general manager, the former Canadian. Uh, maybe that'd be a club for him to land at because they always need some attacking help. Speaking of him, uh, Tara Pasher just left the club. He, he left that club and then he left New York. And then he left New York, yeah, because yeah, yeah. he didn't want to play for mm-hmm. Red Bulls too. Because, I mean, I think understandably so, he felt like he proved himself in USL. So now he's a free agent. Yeah. Maybe he heads back to Houston, links up with the Rosario. There you go. A <laughs> uh, bit of a nugget, I'm told by a club source. Carlos Gonzalez should expect an offer or two at the end of the season from a higher league, given the Atletico Madrid contact. So yeah, if he can go from last place to first place Maybe and then win, win the damn thing, oh, holy yeah. crap. Well, I mean, we saw Pamela Ducat go down to North Texas. He's just left there, and it sounds like he was interviewed for San Jose. Uh-huh. Uh, sounds like a few MLS clubs have interviewed Pamela Ducat as well. So, like, it shows there's a pipeline being built. Obviously, like, for guys like Smirnotis and Wilden Jr., they just love where they're at, and they don't want to move. But, yeah, a guy like Gonzalez... Dan Clark, might be early, but who would you say are the player of the year, U21 player of the year, and coach of the year in the Campion? Well, coach of the year, I mean, it's, it's got to be Gonzalez. I mean, yes, the, that's yeah, pretty obvious. obvious. So the first yeah. place. Under 21, I mean, Sean Ray would probably be the one yeah. Would probably be the one guy who stands out there. Player of the year, there are some candidates. Um, it's very wide open. Cause the way I see it, usually by default, it kind of, the goal scores went a lot of love, and it was... That was a bit unfortunate about Ozaze, or not, pardon me, by Joao Morelli winning last yeah. year just because a lot of his goals were penalties and Halifax didn't make it. But this year, what's nice is that Alejandro Diaz scored 13 goals and he left halfway through. So he's uh-huh. not going to get much MVP love. Di Rosario is on a team that didn't make uh-huh. the playoffs. Sam Salter is on a team that didn't make the playoffs. Rubens Passius is on a team with Kyle Becker and Tristan Borges. Those guys are always going to get uh, more love, deservedly so. Uh, so I think it's nice because this is going to be a tough year. Cause I, I mean, I don't know if I have a ballot yet, but uh, I'm certainly already pondering uh, in case I do. So I'll let you go first, Peter, because I do have a few names to throw for all of those. Oof. No, I'm going to let you go first because I'm, I'm still trying to go through all the names here because this is going to be an unorthodox winner, I think, just yes. in terms of it's literally going to come down to whatever the more consistent criteria is for the voters. Yeah, and for me, the two names that I know are for sure, I think I'm going to slip on. The one is a bit controversial. I think my number one is Ali Bassett. I think that one's fair. Just he's really okay. been a game changer for Ottawa in midfield uh, with the way he's he's been, uh, he's, he's added that midfield dynamicism. He's scored goals. He's been very defensively sound. I think Bassett is going to get one. Just because you look at Ottawa, their biggest improvements has been team defense, and it's hard mm-hmm. to quantify that in an MVP race. And maybe Bellutabo will get love just because he's flashy, but I think of the mm-hmm. players, Bassett's the one who fits MVP more. And then the other one is Manny Aparicio. I mean, yes, he, yeah, he's, he's only played my pick. he only played 18 or 20 games, but the Pacific have won 33 of their 43 points with him in the lineup. They have 11 points in games without him, and he's literally been there half the games. <laughs> like, it's miles away. Like, by, by, by definition, that's MVP. That is most valuable player. So I, I'm, I'm going to, if I get a ballot, I mean, maybe I won't get a ballot because I said this. I think I'm going to find a way to put Manny Aparicio there in there go. just because uh, he's, he's been good. that good. And then in terms of the other ones, you do think it's probably going to be teams that make the playoffs just because the other guys are more forwards and not necessarily guys that have 
been exceptionally better than a Bassett or, or Aparicio. So I think it's going to be tough from a Cavalry or Forge. Like a guy with Cavalry, there's so many options. Like an Escalante could be a very outsider shot because he's low-key done a lot of good work for Cavalry. So I think uh, if you're looking at them, one of Escalante and Musi uh, could be very outside shots or even a Carducci. And then for Forge, if you're looking at some shots, I think it would be between, you know, a Becker and, and actually noting Janssen has done a lot of big things as well, having to play center back. One of the most, still one of the most underrated players in the league. So maybe he's someone who could also get a, a, some love. But I think what that shows is all those guys are, you know, those are a lot of two-way players. Those are a lot of midfielders. Mm-hmm. Those are a lot, I think those are the kind of players you love get. to see it. And that's the sort of thing I love from the MVP <laughs> race and I'm, I'm so here for What on earth happened to Moosey in the offseason? No one expected this guy that didn't play last year to just all of a sudden, like, you watch 30 minutes, and the guy's just dominating. Oh, yeah. He's very good. Like, when I was uh, commentating games from New York, and and it was kind of a really bad angle. But, dude, he would dance to two or three players, and you're just like, York York, York are pretty inept in in the midfield. But but he would just... Not Isaiah Johnston. Yes, but I digress. Exception, um, but no, he would he would do well. I, I believe they also added two awards as well. Mark Noonan also added two awards extra. Well, defender of the year is going to be one. And also players player. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I'm very curious to a say. see who the players player is, yeah. and then in terms of defender of the year. How do you pick? I mean, you'd say it's an auto defender, but do you pick Drew Becky? Do you pick Diego Espejo? Well, like you, do you said, you pick team defender. Who do you choose from a team defender? Yeah, does, does someone like a Chinoni Anson still because he played so well at center back went out? Does Amir Didich sneak in? But yes, oh, Didich wasn't a bad shot, actually. But yeah. yes, to sneak in, answer the other two questions, U21 Player of the Year, and then I'll let Peter step in. I hope this has given you fuel to help your, your thoughts because we agreed on Gonzalez. I'm going... We need dominance in this league. There's so much parity I'm between sorry. players, too. I'm saying right now, Sean Rea, Wubens Passius, and uh, one of Zach Fernandez um, or uh, Sean Young. I'm still going to go Ray on myself. I, I think I'm going Ray. I just think uh, Passius could give him a run for money just because yeah, the yeah, goals yeah. and 100%. playing on a good team. And then Fernandez is Sean also Young sleeper. isn't a bad shot either, though. Question from Afrikaans. How far do you feel CPL teams are from having academies? Well, uh, Cavalry already have one. They have uh, their E20. They're playing in the, the Alberta Major League. Yeah. Uh, Forge, I mean, they use Sigma. Plus, Calvary does have the Foothills connection. So, Correct. And that's the thing, right? You you have clubs who already have those feeder connections. So I feel like they're not going to be dependent on the academy structure for another few years. Plus, you need to be very financially sound to open up a competent academy system. From the coaching, to the recruitment, to the infrastructure, to everything else in between that you need to run that efficiently. And for a club like the Whitecaps to open up the residency program, that took years and years and years to open up. And now it is massive. Like the UBC training complex only opened a few years ago. So in London, there's one in Saskatchewan. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's just going to come down to time plus money. And that's still going to be a few years away. And to be fair, teams are making steps. Like, for example, the Wanderers do have an active U23 team that trains and plays games as well. So there's certainly, that's a step to take local U23 players and give some sort of system. So mm-hmm. I think teams would want to, but yeah, it's a matter of finance. It's also a big commitment. You have to find a league. What league do you play? Are you satisfied if you jump them in a local men's league or, or what? So a lot of questions to answer there in terms of building a pool. I remember the first year of CPL, I was told uh, James Easton didn't want to have CPL academies. And that was actually a big talking point like within the CPL office. Like A lot of people were not happy with that decision, but... 
I'm happy that, you know, it's slowly but surely kind of starting to... And that's the thing. If one team has their own academy and the other team doesn't have their own academy, it's kind of like... For example, what Ottawa is doing. I think Ottawa have a contract with, like, all their, like... All the U teams that play in the... From U12 to U18, they have a scouting network. Well, that's... And then Forge has Sigma to feed from. One of the best and consistent League One Ontario programs just feeding them... Uh, Italian, also, we're talking academies. I mean, Pacific has the Van Islander uh, system where they created that sort of sort of youth team, and they're slowly filtering players. So each team's doing things different, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, you have to imagine they all want to get academies eventually. The Canadian women's national team unveiled their roster for the October friendlies against Argentina and Morocco. Evelyn Vienz, uh, long-awaited call-up, is among the highlights. Zoe Burns. Simia Wujo and Clarissa Larissa are also back in the fold. Kadisha Buchanan, Ashley Lawrence, and Alicia Chapman return as well following injuries and whatnot. Africans, with Viennes finally called, who is the next name pushing for the roster? I think it's Victoria Pickett. I think if we're looking at next names up for Canada, we're looking obviously at Vienne just because they're scoring records absurd, up to 18 goals I think it is in Sweden this year with nine assists. She's been killing it. Now there's a formation change with Canada that suits her. Just the, such a pure number nine. Obviously, with that out of the way, you're looking at maybe other options, some strikers. I mean, Larissa has been called in, so that makes mm-hmm. sense. There is, uh, you know, Chandra Davidson as well. Sporting mm-hmm. is someone worth considering yep. if you're forwards. But just, I think, the only thing going against her is that between Lacasse, between Larissa, between Vienne, there's a lot of forwards already on the fringes where there just might not be room for an opportunity. Whereas in midfield... Uh, you know, the midfield, there's room, man. There, there's depth. There's room for depth in the midfield. Victoria Pickett has gotten some calls, but then she came and played wing back. She didn't get to play midfield. Uh, she can. She's a true number eight, which would suit this formation change, which is going to rely on more box to box midfield presence. So I do. I definitely think someone like Victoria Pickett could be the next up to to deserve a, a shot, just because she's been so solid with Kansas and now with Gotham ever since mm-hmm. the trade. Yeah. I'm curious. What do you think is that tier one opponent that? Brisbane's kind of teasing up. I do wonder if it could potentially be a rematch against a Sweden, for example. Oh, not bad. Canada has played a lot of surprises. Like, you have to give them credit. We talk about Canada playing Tier 1 opponents. That was especially discussion two years ago. Ever since Brisbane's come in, they've played a lot of Tier 1 opponents, and they've done well against uh-huh. Tier 1 opponents. So, so I'm looking at the top 15 now, which is obviously what a Tier 1 definition is. Canada's played the U.S., what, three times? Mm-hmm. Had a decent record. They've played Germany once now. I'm sure they'd actually would be nice to see them play Germany again, especially mm-hmm. after how good they were at the Euros. They played Sweden once. I think they'll want to play them again, potentially. Uh, that could be a team that works yeah. out. Uh, England, they've played a couple times. Uh, France is another one I think they could also be looking at because they, uh, they actually haven't played France since Priestman's come in. That's one they used to play a lot before, and I That's think true. France is also another shout. So Sweden, France... Uh, I'd amend uh, the Netherlands also could be an intriguing maybe those three because then also then is Canada in seventh they played Spain earlier this year which was a phenomenal test mm-hmm. to see how they play but they play Brazil way too much so we'll remove that yeah. out <laughs> then it's North Korea which I think just politically might not happen for Canada because they're not going to North Korea <laughs> nope. obviously I don't think that would happen if they come <laughs> here Japan they recently played uh, uh, Australia they, they played, played Norway Norway would be an underrated yeah, one, especially if you got Ada Hedberg back in the lineup. They've also got a solid a bit of talent. Iceland, Italy. Uh, Italy would be one I'd actually love to see. Italy was very surprisingly good in the World Cup uh, qualifiers. They did well at the Euros uh, earlier this year as well. So I think my top three, if I were going to pick, would, would be Sweden, France, Netherlands, though. 
Last question on the Canadian women's national team from Oez Sweeney. Why is the coverage of our women's players so subpar compared to the men when soccer beats their chest as saviors of our game? Couldn't even bother to do anything for the NWSL despite so many Canadian women's national team players playing key roles on the final day. To one man's credit, and I'm talking about Alexander Gongi-Ruzik, our very own, he does do very good women's coverage for one soccer as well as other platforms. So, I mean, they do have themselves covered in that regard. But I think we can also say the same thing about the women as we do with the men in that there also has to be media availabilities, right? And I'm not just talking one soccer specifically. I mean for the wider media. Canada soccer needs to do a much better job of putting these players out in the spotlight. Now, whether the players want to do it or not, that's one thing. But I think if they were smart, they would do it. Um, because I know I've put in multiple requests to speak to men's and women's players, and they've either gone unanswered or they just weren't available for whatever reason. So I think that alone could really help with that. Because if you if you play ball with these outlets and you make certain people available, that makes a heck of a lot of difference for coverage, especially for the quality of stories, the quality of pitches, because as we know, we're, all three of us are in journalism. If you speak one-on-one -on -one with somebody, that has a lot of power for, for a story, right? Because that's the, the, the crutch of the story at the end of the day. The thing is, it's it's a good point because obviously I think I'll I'll admit I think there there needs to be a lot more done across a lot of levels across a lot of platforms, and I do think you know say us in particular for talking one soccer, uh, even myself personally I, you know still feel like there are moments where uh, you know there are moments where I could ramp up my coverage and I am certainly trying to especially out of the World Cup I think there uh, you know are many platforms where more work needs to be done but also there is the flip side that accessibility is very mixed and that's one thing that's really frustrating for example uh, one thing that gets peter and i in particular is statistically the the the, the gulf between the quality of statistics available to women's and men's oh it's it, crazy it hurts because yes. i i'd for example someone like julia grosso playing at top five or i think top six leagues italy's the sixth ranked league uh playing for juventus and it's a, a it's a struggle to find out her goals and her assists, let alone how many touches she gets in a game, how many key passes she makes in a game. Obviously, that's not the whole story. You want to watch her, and then you go from there. But it just helps so much from stories when you're able to apply not your, what you see with data, and that's one plus. Say with the NWSL, you know, a bit more of a modern league. There is a little more data out there. Thank England, you, American Soccer Analysis. England is very good for that. That's why. Selfishly, I want all the Canadian players playing England because <laughs> FB Ref does compare yes. com percentile charts for all the English players uh, or the players in the English league. Uh, you know, you also mentioned access to interviews. Some clubs. I mean, when I w went and worked with uh, when I went down to LA, Chicago was phenomenal in getting me Bianca St. George's. But you know, I had some issues. For example, dealing with trying to get Vanessa Gilles off of Angel City. I mean, potentially that didn't help that she was injured about to get a transfer. Maybe that's why. But also. Uh, you know, those little details is just always, you know, tough to answer. And I was having to go through hoops, which I'm fine going through because I want to interview these players. But, course, I, but not everybody does. Some people won't. I think that's unfortunate, but that's just a reality. So I think it's a bit of a two-sided coin in the sense that I think us as journalists, there is always more that we can do to push for more coverage. And it's something that, you know, I'm always myself personally trying to reflect. How can I do better women's national team coverage? How can I do better, you know, Canadians and women's abroad 
uh, you know, coverage, trying to also follow as much of the women's college game as possible. I'm always trying to improve that, but also there's the aspect of those, the information being provided to, to people as well. There's also, it's a bit of a two-sided coin. Yeah, and also um, several of our colleagues, uh, more so maybe, maybe news, uh, general sports, have given up covering Canada soccer because they are uh, nearly impossible to get a hold of and uh, really slow response times, like you say, not very amenability. Oh, when they do have it, it cuts out uh, and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Bad Wi-Fi, the, pre- the press officer's not in the location. You sometimes, know? yeah. It's, 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 it's wild stuff sometimes. That just makes you go like, I, I can't believe this is actually happening. But the, the other thing too is sometimes networks have like a problem when they don't have the rights to something. Like if one soccer's not broadcasting yeah, the NWSL, yes. I mean, it's kind of like you're giving them free Someone's going to find out where, so where to watch the NWSL. They're just going to go from that one soccer article to subscription. I mean, it is what it is. So final section of the show, Canada has named a U-17 uh, men's camp uh, for October. Uh, finally, the youth camps are back, gentlemen. Uh, obviously, a U-17 men's roster was surprisingly revealed on Saturday. 25 players were called up for a domestic camp in Montreal from October 2nd to the 7th in preparation for the championship in February. Can I just say how happy I am that Montreal is finally getting some love because I don't speak French, but they have been really, <laughs> they have been really uh, forgotten. They, they really have. Um, so obviously no surprises. A lot of players from three MLS academies, uh, one player from Sigma, uh, one player from France, um, from Inter Miami, of course, south of the border, and another uh, player that also plays for Mississauga Pro Stars. Uh, the rest of the squad is pretty straightforward with a couple of surprises that we'll talk about uh, shortly. Uh, Dom Gagnon, who should we watch out for in the U17 men's team? Any notable omissions? And Afrikaans also ask any non MLS Academy players we should keep an eye on? Um, well, I tweeted about him, but Victor Fung um, is one name to watch, the 15-year-old center back, very highly touted at Inter-Miami. He had really good recent tournaments for the under-17s and is apparently pushing for the under-20s already as well at 15 years old. And he's one of the younger players in this camp. So keep an eye on him because he's also U.S. eligible. Really huge that they got him in there. Uh, Ruben Desaw, who is in Vittoria de Guimaraes' system, is another to watch. He moved over there a couple years ago. He started in the U15s. Now he's at the U17s. He's making the push to the under-19s. Um, he's someone who I think we very much need to keep a close eye on. He's drawing rave reviews. Um in terms of omissions, I don't really think there are any. And frankly, this was bound to be a more domestic-based camp anyways, just because that's who the coaching staff works with. They work with the three Canadian MLS academies in conjunction with each other. So really no surprises there that it is a largely Montreal-Vancouver-Toronto-based camp. Now, the CONCAF U-17 men's championship runs from uh, February 11th to the 26th in Guatemala, Canada, uh, actually, Drew was drawn in a group with the U.S., Trinidad and Tobago, and Barbados. The four semifinals will qualify for the 2023 U-17 World Cup in uh, your father's native Peru, yes. uh, Peter. Uh, but the women's U-17 team, they are in action. Um, they actually kick off play at the World Cup in India on October 12th. Uh, so that is next week with a match against France. Then they play Japan on October 15th. And Tanzania on October 18th. Top two in their group go to quarterfinals and then straight knockout from there. 
we already received one question on the women's, and I think that's the one that needs to be asked. Um, Afrikaans ask, how do you rate the women's team chances at the U17 World Cup? It's always super hard to tell with these sorts of youth tournaments. Um, I certainly don't can't say I follow the European or South American or African uh, you know, scenes too close enough to say, but I do think Canada... You have a lot on your plate already. <laughs> I, I do think Canada does have a better chance than they did with the U20 tournament, just because at the U17 level, uh, there's just not as many players playing professionally, and that was the big gap that was there for Canada at the U20 uh, level. It was, you know, there's great players for Canada at the U20 level. I mean, Simeon Wujo, Jade Rose did well enough in, in Costa Rica. Now they're playing for the senior team. Canada's a top 10 senior team that to me would indicate that okay Canada's not you know that you can say Canada has talent but the issue is more they didn't get enough reps together as a youth team you know scratch me if I've heard if you've heard that before uh, in terms of Canada at youth levels and then the lack of professional minutes you could tell that hurt them overall as a group just because you know you're playing France and everyone on that team pretty much has professional experience yeah. whereas the U17 level I don't think that's going to be as much of a gap uh, so I think that's good and then in terms of Canada I think there's some talented uh, players at least from what I've seen I've followed League One BC season closely and a good chunk of those white caps uh, under 17 uh, women's players played in that league and they were very good against players up to seven or eight years older so i think again you just look at some of these players uh from the ones i was able to watch like a claire logan at center back uh, iba oching over at fullback they were very solid and part of a good white caps defense you look up uh, ashley lawrence on the wing she was electric and scored a lot of goals especially early on Anna Howard can play multiple positions. She was really good leading the line and then turn into a number eight for them in their biggest games and end up playing there when they won the championship, League One BC championship. Geneva Hernandez Gray was just, every time I watched her, I was very, very impressed. She's a progressive ball playing number eight who has a very high national team upside. So I think she's going to be huge. Izzy Monk as well. Uh, Jamie Perot rounding off the Whitecaps contingent. So that's what I know from the Whitecaps uh, contingent as well. Uh, you know, some good names at Ontario who ended up winning the U-17 uh, women's games at the summer games, that is. There's a few uh, players. One omission, though, that hurts, Rosa Malouf, uh, who led all of CONCACAF in the U-17 CONCACAF qualifiers uh, with goals. She is out injured after also being one of the leading scorers of the League One Ontario season, scored a stunner in the final again against players five to eight years older than her. So that's a big loss, but I still think there is a lot of talent. The question is, how will the gaps be exposed? I think uh, it's hard to be optimistic, say, after the U20 term, but I do think Canada should fare better than they did in U20s. Yeah, you didn't know much at all. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Once uh, that will uh, do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find us same time, same place next week. And until then, off the NFP.